consignment sale for our early learning center. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm a little keyed up. Uh, the kids traditionally have pancakes and syrup and bacon and everything on this Sunday as we get ready for our Lenten season and everything. So uh, I ran in there late thinking the kids had already eaten, so I grabbed me some pancakes and some bacon and walked in there, and all the kids were like, hey, we want some too. I didn't know that they hadn't eaten. So it'll probably get brought up by Mark Casey a couple of times before it's over with. But I had some sugar. I think in heaven we will have probably syrup and bacon some way in there. That's got to be. We share this morning the title of the sermon is Home Plate. Home Plate. I don't know if the picture got up there on the screen or not. Yep, it did. Eric got that put up. And uh, I love baseball. Love the sport. I played other sports, but baseball was my favorite. I was a catcher. When you're catching, you're into every single, every single play. You're right there in it. Man, at high school, and you'd get off over on first base, and the first baseman he'd let you know if he's going. That adrenaline rush when you come up and gun him out. Love baseball. Coached it for seven or eight years, off and on. When Dave was younger, and y'all know that uh, Dave and I, for since he was a teenager, we go down and watch. College baseball, SEC tournament, Hoover, I usually catch three or four games. I just like college ball. I usually try to go watch a high school or two, the Gasm Titans or Etowah, because they still play for the game. And uh, as far as watching the pros for three or four hours on TV, that's too boring. I, I don't generally do that. But if you played baseball, I loved it. I loved it. My dad shared something with me a week or so ago that came off the Internet. It's been going around, I think, resurfacing again. So some of you may know what I'm talking about, but... I'm going to take a lot of liberty and paraphrase it, but an old coach, this was back in 1996, came to Nashville, Tennessee, had 4,000 coaches from Little League all the way up, high school coaches, college coaches, pro coaches, they were all there, and he was one of the speakers, and they taught a lot about baseball and techniques and all, but he was kind of a motivational speaker. He had coached in college ball for years. So he walks out on the stage, and he has a home plate around his neck. He fixed it so it would be, he didn't say anything about the home plate. He just had it there and started his instructions, started talking. And everybody's still wondering, he never mentioned this home plate that's hanging around his neck until later. And I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to wait till later to tell you about that home plate. I want to read to you from three passages of scripture from the minor prophets. We have been studying the 12 minor prophets over the last six months or so in about two different Bible studies. So I'm going to read just three different sections here. First one is from Hosea. Hosea, the 14th chapter, verses 1 through 4, and just remind you that Hosea was the one whom God said, I want you to go back, I want you to purchase and pay a price to our wife, for a wife into harlotry. Because I want all of Israel to know that this is the way you did me and you treated me, but I'm willing to buy you back, I'm willing to purchase you back. Powerful story about the love of God for his people, for those who fear him. Hosea 14, one says, O Israel, turn to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. And verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. Automatically tell us it's possible to backslide apparently. But he said, I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. Again, it lets us know God does get angry. He can get angry and he can have the last word and he will. Amos, the 8th chapter, 
Amos 8.11 Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine. I will send a famine on the land, but not a famine of bread, not of food, not of pancakes and bacon, not of thirst for water, but there will be a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Let that mull over that just a second. God said there's going to be a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Don't underestimate how horrible a famine that would be. Then Malachi, Malachi 3.6. Malachi, I'm going to read in a moment again through the last chapter, but Malachi is the last book before we go into the New Testament. Malachi says in Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord and I do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And then verse 7, Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Our world is in a state of change. God's not. Every day that we live, we mortals encounter a multitude of changes. Some are good and some are not so good. And on occasion, all of us must endure life-changing personal losses that can sometimes just leave us breathless. And when we do, and when that happens, we can go to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who are consistently, consistently faithful. He consistently keeps covenant. We consistently break it. But we can go to him. He says, return to me, and I'll return to you. Again, we look at a world that's constantly changing. Isn't it, shouldn't it be comforting to us that when he says, I am the Lord and I do not change? You can bank on that. You can count on that. One of the most precious gifts that God has given us is his word. The Bible, and I know you already know that, but sometimes I need to be reminded of that. I'm called to remind you of that. It's a precious gift. It is wrapped, it's wrapped in the glory and in the sacrifice and all about Jesus Christ from beginning to end. It's all about Him. But it is given to us by the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Sure, He used different people, but it was the Spirit of God who wrote it. And we need to be reminded of that. Amen. The Bible is a treasured gift. And it is a gift that it keeps on giving. Because, you know, when you can read the 23rd Psalm and you've read it 180 times, you've read it a thousand times, and you read it that one more time, and it still speaks. It's real powerful. It's a treasured gift that we need, and it is a gift that keeps on giving. It is relevant to every generation, every generation. Believers in 2017, that'd be us, those of us who fear His name, we need the truth. We need the guidance which it supplies as much as any generation before us. And we need it today. It's timeless and it is changeless. Jesus said in Luke 21:33, He said that heaven and earth will pass away. That is the heaven and the earth that we now know. It will pass away. It's not going to be the same. Revelation says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But Jesus said this world as we know it, this heaven and earth, will pass away. But my words, 
My words will by no means pass away. You can bank on it. I am the Lord and I do not change. So the day that you die, the same word you read will exactly read the same for the next generation. It won't change. It's timeless. It will not pass away. So therefore, if that's true and we know that, we ought to have a personal plan of wanting to digest this. We ought to want to know what God says. Because we can watch CNN and Fox and all of them and CNBC and we can find out everything that Trump and Obama and all of them and I don't care, Democrat, Republican. But what does God say? Because at the end of the day, that's all that's going to matter. And he's changed this. I changed not, he said. For the past six months, we have been studying the 12 minor prophets. Wednesday morning, Wednesday nights, Bible study. I have had one or more through my ministry of every church I've pastored, at least one time, sometimes twice, I've gone through the minor prophets. The 12 minor prophets are sometimes called the 12 voices of truth. The reason I like them and I like to teach them as I've thought about it through the years is that I think that perhaps they are the least read section of the Bible. Sometimes people read Genesis and Exodus. We'll like the Psalms and Proverbs. We'll Jeremiah every now and then, Isaiah, he's pretty good, and Ezekiel some, but we like the New Testament, but it's like we skip over these minor prophets and they are anything but minor. They are rock solid and needed in our generation for people to read them to see how God is. The same God in the Old Testament is the same one in the New Testament. A lot of times we say, well, that's not true. No, it's true. Same God. Jesus was here before the foundation of the world. So we've been studying them. I hope that you will take time to read the Minor Prophets. Some of them are only one chapter long. Some of them three or four. But there are some reoccurring themes that I want to point out to you that I believe are invaluable and they are of utmost importance for every single generation, including our own. I'm a United Methodist pastor. God called me to be a United Methodist pastor. And I will do that until he releases me, if he so chooses. I'm concerned about our Methodist church. I think they need to hear this. I think they need to hear the word of God. I think we need to go back to it. We can change different theologies. We can put different names on it to impress people. But it's not going to change the word of God. And I think the minor prophets would help keep us true to the word of God. John Wesley, which if we want to go back to our heritage, he always said, I'm a man of one book was not talking about the disciplines. He was talking about the Word of God, the Bible. So it matters to us. This coming Wednesday night, we're going to have an Ash Wednesday service. It's kind of a kickoff for the season of Lent. Not all churches have this tradition, but I like it. I like the fact that we do. We did it at Hoax Bluff, and it's a time we can kind of come and focus and prepare and, and prepare the way. And one of the focuses is the symbolic power of taking ashes. And there's nowhere in the Bible that says, Thou shalt take ashes and smear them on people's heads. But there's something about that symbol to me that it, it, it's humbling. It is a reminder of, of our death and, and mortality, but also the sin we have. And there's many references in the Bible of that symbolic power. Jesus said in Matthew 11, and by the way, this is one of the themes that is reoccurring in every one of the minor prophets. But Jesus also said it in Matthew 11. When Jesus began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. That was it. That's what he said. 
which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Then he said, Woe to you, Gerizim. Woe to you, Bethsaida, these two cities. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and in ashes. So Jesus makes reference to it, the power of it, the symbol of it. All of the minor prophets teach the truth about repentance. God also establishes the power of grace and the power of mercy, but it is realized and it is received for those who repent. You can ask somebody a definition of grace or mercy, and we can give one I could, but I find until you experience it, until you receive it, you cannot receive it lest you repent. So that, that teaching that these minor prophets give us is a reminder and let me tell you, that's New Testament. Because John the Baptist came and his first sermon title was Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus came on the scene. And guess what he preached? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's one of the things that they teach is repentance. Two other things that are extremely important. One is those who fear the Lord. That's a reoccurring theme in the minor prophets. I read to you earlier in Malachi 3 that all those who feared the Lord got together. Well, that's what happens every Sunday. You know why we're here? We fear Him. There's an awe and a respect we have for Him to even show up. So these who feared the Lord, they says they spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. And this wrote a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord. So part of the part of the reoccurring theme in the Minor Prophets is how valuable and how important it is for you personally your home and your community for you to fear the Lord to be in awe and reverence another theme is the day of the Lord the day of the Lord shall come we're going to read it here in Malachi again but repeatedly over and over in prophecy the day of the Lord can be something that's going to happen in the future we know that Daniel speaks of things that yet ever even in Revelation that the day of the Lord the second coming of Christ is going to happen he will come back. But also, the day of the Lord can mean even for the people that it's written to. So prophecies can be fulfilled in different dispensations of time. They can be yet to come, or they can occur in that those people's lifetime. Such as Jesus, when he walked into Jerusalem, he wept over them. He wept over the people. And he said, oh, if you'd only known, if you'd only known the time of my visitation. But because you missed it, not one stone will be left upon another. He was looking at the temple, and they laughed at him. But in 70 A.D., when many of them that he prophesied that to were still alive, they didn't laugh. And to this day, not one stone is left upon another. And Jesus said that it will happen. So sometimes the day of the Lord can be within a generation of people. The other thing, too, to make it even more personal is the day of the Lord can happen for you today. Today is the day of salvation. I am not guaranteed tomorrow. I may meet my maker before this day is over. The Bible says to prepare to meet your God. So in prophecy, it could be that it could be you, the day of the Lord. So when it uses and when these prophets use the day of the Lord, it, it should be an attention getter to us. Something's going to happen, maybe closer than I think, and it may be for me. I want to ask you to stand. 
reading God's Word. If you're not able to stand, please remain. But just for the respect of God's Word, I'm going to read the last chapter of Malachi. Would you stand? This is the last words the Spirit spoke. 450 years of silence before we go into the New Testament. So this is what God chose to say. Behold, the day is coming. It's burning like an oven. And all of the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. They will leave them neither root nor branch. You understand that? There's going to be a great furnace fire. There's going to be stubble left. Not even the roots will be left. That's not going to be a good day for somebody. Verse 2 establishes it for those who fear the Lord. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow, grow fat like stall-fed calves. So if somebody says you're jumping around like a big old calf, just say thank you. That was a joke. Verse 3, you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Then he says, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel with the statutes and the judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, that's good, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and I strike the earth with a curse. Word of God for the people of God. Thank God. You may be seated. This word that God has given us is to those who fear His name. I hope you fear the Lord this morning. It'd be one of the greatest things you can do if you haven't, but I pray that you do fear the Lord. You're in awe of who He is. It's very healthy to fear the Lord. Two prophecies were given. One that he said that it would be a coming. And when it comes, remember the law of Moses. We don't forget the law of Moses. The Ten Commandments read the same as they've always read. Then he says, remember the prophet Elijah. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. If you know anything about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know Jesus said that Elijah's already come. He wasn't incarnated in John the Baptist. But John the Baptist came in the anointing of the prophet. Why that's important? Because Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law of Moses and Elijah. Elijah and Moses, they were the ones standing on the Mount of Transfiguration. They had been living for hundreds of years in heaven. There they were standing on the Mount. You know the day that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments? And he came down and saw all the people standing. You remember what he did? He smashed them. So then God said, well, Moses, now that I see they're not going to keep these ten, let's, let's modify them a little bit to their culture and their time, and, and let's change them, and let's don't give them the same ten, because they couldn't keep them anyway. Well, you know that's not true. Same ten. Put them in stone. I am the Lord, and I do not change. I don't care how many legislatures or anybody argue over the Ten Commandments. The day you die, they'll read the same way. They're not going to change. And they are relevant for every age. Just listen to them. And I thought about it as we studied the minor prophets this time. If they'd have just done what the Ten Commandments had said, they wouldn't have gotten near as much trouble. Do not have any other God before me. Do not make yourself an idol. Do not take the name 
the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You see, the first four are about your relationship and my relationship with the living God. If we could just do those, it's amazing the other six would probably start lining up. In fact, they would. Here's the, they're in our relationship with other people, but the first four are just about God. The last six, honor your mother and father. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Don't lie. Do not covet. Don't covet whatever people have. That's the Ten Commandments. They're going to read the same tomorrow. They're not going to change. Day of the Lord. Those who fear Him. Repentance. All that's involved in there. But it'll stay in the New Testament all the way through. Remember the home plate that's hanging around that guy's neck? He closed in the story by saying that he asked some Little League coaches, how big is home plate in a Little League? Seventeen inches at least. You in high school, how big is the home plate? One of the coaches said, "Well, it's it's seventeen inches." You in college, did we change the site? No, no. Pitchers have to throw to the same plate. Seventeen. What about pro? It's seventeen inches. The point is, and again, I'm taking some liberty. He expanded out to the home and players, but this is the gist of it. I think you see where I'm going. The idea, in the sense that the plate never changes the expectation for the players and the coaches shouldn't change either they don't widen the home plate for anybody we're not going to stretch the rules for anybody we're holding everybody accountable basic morals right and wrong they don't change but neither does God's grace have you broken any of the ten commandments an amen but you don't have to answer I already know and I already know I have I sure am glad that our God does not change because he's still a God who will come to me again and say return to me and I'll return to you that's why in Revelation when he said I, I would that you were cold or hot but because you're lukewarm I want to vomit you out of my mouth but he said I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking and if anybody will come to me and open the door. I will come in and I'll dine with you. I'll sup with you, he said. You see, that's relationship. Oh, we're under grace. We're under mercy. This God that does not change, he still says, return to me. Thank God we've got that kind of God. And thank God he wrote us something that neither heaven and earth, though it may pass away, what I tell you can bank on. Let's pray together. God, we praise you today. Thank you, God, that you do not change. You're a God who expects, demands, and commands. Oh, but you're a God that forgives. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts today. Remind us of how important it is that we fear you. Help us to respond to your word and to be in awe of who you are. We love you. We love you. In the areas in our lives we don't love you, please forgive us. timeless and unchangeable oh God thank you for that promise in Jesus name amen our closing hymn